This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. BC is running out of COVID vaccine. We need to understand that we're in a very risky time. New delays to the rollout. And a wealthy casino executive and his wife accused of jumping the queue. COVID variants raise serious concern. It seems likely that the measures we have in place right now won't be enough. A startling prediction of how quickly the UK variant could spread. And how a report into COVID precautions at long-term care homes was delayed by the government. Should have been released earlier. I take responsibility for that. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. We're going to start with the story of Rod Baker, the CEO of Great Canadian Casinos, who just resigned from his $10 million a year job. He and his wife were ticketed for flying to a remote Yukon community and lying to healthcare officials to jump the queue and get the COVID vaccine. Ramina Dea reports. Rod Baker gambled and lost. Great Canadian Gaming Corporation confirming Monday its president and CEO has stepped down. The organization silent as to why. Baker, 55, and his wife, 32-year-old actress Ekaterina Baker, were charged in the Yukon last week under the Civil Emergency Measures Act. From our perspective, we were, we were just completely angry frustrated <clears throat> with these folks what they what they did was they they put our community at risk after arriving in the Yukon the couple was required by law to isolate for 14 days but officials say they chartered a private plane from Whitehorse to the remote community of Beaver Creek where a mobile vaccine clinic was underway population roughly 100 including members of White River First Nation what I was told is that they presented themselves as workers in a motel. They got the vaccine. They got back on a flight. Someone noticed this happening and they called our civil emergency measures uh, uh, enforcement team. Baker and Baker tracked down before leaving the Yukon. The couple received a total of 2,300 in fines for failing to self-isolate and not living up to their declaration. I, I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, they put a community at risk for their own benefit, and, and that, to me, is appalling. The mailing address on the tickets, a $2 million plus condo at the luxury Shangri-La in Vancouver, the unit owned by someone else. Mr. Baker made over $10 million in 2019 in his former position with Great Canadian. My first thought was privileged. I thought, how dared this couple... I think of the risk they put our elders, our seniors, our community in. It's, it's just outrageous. How do you justify 
you know, a $500 fine. I keep hearing $500, $1,000. Hey, it could be $50,000. It's not enough. White River First Nation leadership vowing to push the government for a just punishment. We reached out to the bakers for comment, but no response by our deadline. Romina Dea, Global News. At today's COVID-19 briefing, health officials revealed they are unsure of our vaccine supply over the next month and extended the gap between first and second doses of vaccine as supplies begin to dwindle. First, here's an update on infections from the last three counting periods. We have 1,344 new cases over the last 72 hours, bringing our provincial total to 64,828. Sadly, 26 more people have died. That means B.C. has now lost 1,154 to complications of the virus. 328 people are in hospital, 68 patients in the ICU. 57,831 people are considered recovered, and that leaves us with nearly 4,400 active cases and just over 6,600 in self-isolation. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the extremely limited supply of vaccine in mm-hmm. B.C. We learned that uh, today, Keith, and I guess we're all trying to figure out what that means for the rollout. Yeah, the rollout's changing, Chris. So about no, no Pfizer coming in this week, less than 6,000 doses next week. And there is uncertainty about what lies ahead. So today, Dr. Henry announcing that 35-day gap between the first and second shot is now going to be extended to 42 days, uh, and as recommended by the World Health Organization. Uh, but it's because you can't give that second dose to people right now. We've got to get more first doses in the arms of people. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. This next two weeks... We're going to have very little vaccine. As we knew, we are receiving no Pfizer vaccine this week, and it is also a week where we do not receive any new vaccines uh, from Moderna. We have to manage our supply within the limited amounts that we have. Because of this extremely limited supply over the next two weeks, we have made the decision that we will be delaying second doses up until day 42, for these short period of time. So over the past three days, Keith, the daily average came down a little bit, but with the Mm -hmm. vaccine shortage, Dr. Henry is emphasizing the need for all of us to do everything we can. She's very much staying on message there. Yeah, and today I have to say, today was one of the bleakest messages from Dr. Bonnie Henry in quite some time. Even though our cases average is going down a little bit, it's still hovering around the 500 level. So she says we've, we've sort of flattened out, but it's at too high a level. And keep in mind the health order right now that has all sorts of restrictions expires on February 5th. The takeaway I took from today is that in thing, unless things change drastically, that health order will be extended. Today she's calling on British Columbians to take a giant step back from contacting people. For the next two weeks, I am asking you to do more. Take a step back. Stay home. Stay away from others. Join in our effort to bend our curve. We need to share these messages with all of us. It is our time again that we need to make this work. 
So some pretty strong words from Dr. Bonnie Henry today, Chris. And of course, we're going to have a new town hall meeting with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. That's on Thursday at 6.30 to 7 o'clock. Chris, of course, you'll be there asking questions. Also, I'm asking questions on behalf of our viewers. Also heard on CKNW and BC1 as well. So it's a critical town hall meeting. It comes at a time when that health order is about to expire, at a time when our numbers are too high, and at a time when people want more information about the vaccination rollout. So again, 6.30 uh, Thursday night. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks very much, Keith. Okay. And one of the reasons the message was bleak today and that we're being asked to recommit to staying apart is that the UK and South African COVID-19 variants are here in BC. Now, SFU researchers modeled what would happen if those highly transmissible strains of the disease get established. And the results are frightening. Aaron MacArthur reports. Just a handful of cases of the UK variant of COVID-19 have been found in BC. Three of the South African variant, all in people who haven't left the province. According to epidemiologists, there are likely far more cases undetected. By the time you detect a couple individuals, my modeling efforts show that there's probably 100 circulating in the community already. According to data from the UK and Denmark, Despite stringent lockdown measures, the new variants appear to be more than 40% more infectious. New modeling from SFU researchers says if a variant takes hold in BC, by March caseloads could skyrocket. The national picture equally alarming. The paper, which has yet to be peer-reviewed, is urging governments to enact much stronger measures now to avoid this sharp rise in cases. A higher transmission rate means that it seems likely that the measures we have in place right now won't be enough. The UK variant, known as B117, is already taking lives. In Ontario, 40 residents in a Barrie long-term care home have died, six confirmed B117. Nationwide, restrictions on air travel have been replaced with mandatory pre-board testing and quarantine. In BC, there are no plans to restrict interprovincial travel. I'm very concerned. I'm concerned that we can um, that if those variants start to spread, it's just going to make our job that much more difficult. At this point, it appears the approved COVID vaccines in Canada are effective against the UK variant, but less so against the South African one. The bulk of mass vaccinations are planned in B.C. starting in March. The fear is that program will come too late to stop a spring surge. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The report into the devastating effects of COVID-19 in B.C.'s long-term care homes has found a number of problems with the system's early approach to the pandemic. And as Richard Zussman reports, the NDP government is also under fire for delaying the release of the report. Finally released, a report commissioned by the province in the spring and finished by EY just days before the full snap election, only released Monday. The report should have been released earlier. I take responsibility for that. EY concluding, COVID-19 outbreaks highlighted major gaps in IPC and emergency preparedness knowledge and training in the LTC and community care sectors. Another focus, poor communication. There were some of the issues that were identified that are not things that are going to be solved within a matter of months or weeks. The report also concludes despite funding for health authorities to create PPE stockpiles for use during a pandemic, much of the inventory was badly depleted at the onset of COVID. 
but ultimately the report concludes that there are areas for improvement, but BC's response to COVID-19, as outlined, was widely seen as the key contributor to BC's lower outbreak and mortality rates. If you look for a theme through this, you'll see there's a lack of coordination and consistent communication. And that has always been an issue. The province says all the recommendations are being implemented. Even so, the second wave has been far worse in long-term care than the first wave. And the first wave is where this report focused. As we have had more transmission in our communities, that's reflected in outbreaks in long-term care. That's the single most important factor. But those deaths in long-term care have gone up. More than half of the province's COVID-19 deaths have been in long-term care. But some good news Monday. Ten outbreaks in care homes and assisted living now over. This um, brings a moment of happiness to us all and relief for many of the care providers and the families. The province also making a promise. All care home residents in BC will have at least their first COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the week a possible end to the crisis in long-term care that has been devastating for so many. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The outbreak at Royal Inland Hospital ballooned to 48 confirmed cases over the weekend. Interior Health first declared the outbreak on the surgical unit of the Kamloops facility on Friday after eight people tested positive for COVID-19. As of this morning, an additional 40 cases among patients and staff have been confirmed. Sadly, an elderly patient has also died in connection with this outbreak. Interior Health says surgeries continue and the hospital is safe to attend for appointments and emergency care. It was one year ago today Canada recorded its first case of the novel coronavirus that first appeared in Wuhan, China. What followed has been a fast-moving, once-in-a-century health crisis full of unprecedented challenges that continue today. Global Charmaine Somani takes us through how we got to this point. January 25th, 2020. The first presumed case of COVID-19 is reported after a Toronto man returns from Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the outbreak. Two days later, it's confirmed. March 8th, Canada records its first death from COVID-19. A man in his 80s died in a North Vancouver nursing home. Days later, the World Health Organization declares COVID-19 a pandemic. COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. The next day, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau self-isolates after his wife tests positive for the virus. He doesn't contract COVID-19. By March 21st, the U.S.-Canada border closes to non-essential travel. Four days later, a 14-day quarantine is mandatory for all people arriving in the country. It's also that day the emergency aid bill is passed. It includes the CERB, $2,000 a month for those who can't work because of the pandemic. By mid-April, over a 1,000 Canadians have lost their lives to the virus. Just eight days later, that number doubles to more than 2,000. By early June, Canada's unemployment rate hits 13.7%, the highest figure on record as COVID-19 continues to take a massive toll on the economy. The summer saw counts climbing more slowly, but by late September, it's clear. The Prime Minister warns a second wave is underway. We're on the brink of a fall that could be much worse than the spring. On October 19th, we surpassed 200,000 COVID-19 cases. 
Less than a month later, that number jumps to over 300,000. But as winter approaches, a sign of hope. On December 9th, Health Canada approves the use of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, the first vaccine for Canada. A week later, the first doses are administered in Quebec and Ontario. And just before Christmas, Health Canada approves the Moderna vaccine. Then, a new challenge emerges. A new, more contagious variant of the virus is discovered in the UK. On Boxing Day, it's discovered here. The new year starts off on a somber note. Nearly 600,000 cases and almost 16,000 deaths as vaccination efforts ramp up. And then a bump in the road. In mid-January, Pfizer announces a delay of vaccine deliveries. But the Prime Minister is still hopeful the country is on its way to putting the pandemic behind us. This does not impact our goal to have enough vaccines available by September for every Canadian who wants one. Sharmin Samani, Global News. What a year it's been. More revealing testimony today at the Cullen Commission into money laundering. I personally never saw any cash being handed to players. The rise of loan sharks and why casino staff felt like management was turning a blind eye to these suspected crooked deals. That's next. are synonymous with Super Bowl, but this year the company that owns Budweiser is sitting on the sidelines. How it's spending its ad money instead, later. And Forest Creatures, a local artist, branches out with whimsical sculptures in a Burnaby Park. We've got her story coming up on the news hour as well. But right now, while the CEO of Great Canadian Gaming Corporation resigned today over alleged COVID vaccine queue jumping, two more of the company's former top officials were testifying before the Cullen Commission into money laundering. John Waugh has the details. Like the bright lights and high stakes, it's a group gaming investigators say became synonymous with BC casinos. In many cases, these loan charts were well known. A former senior director of the province's gaming regulator, telling the Cullen Commission suspected loan sharks even enjoyed certain perks. Well-known loan sharks were even given parking privileges um, at one or more of the uh, casino venues. But one person who says they never witnessed loan sharking or money lending on site, a former manager of the old Richmond Casino, Rick Duff. I personally never saw any cash being handed to players. Duff would add there was no policy at the time to stop money or chip passing on the casino floor. If someone came in and gave somebody some money and they, they gambled it, uh, there, that wasn't anything written down saying you're not allowed to do that. Duff would later become the general manager of the River Rock Casino until 2012. During that time, still never seeing a loan shark lending money out. His focus was improving VIP's experiences, not where they were getting their cash. The consideration of how they're going to get their cash was never really thought about. When casino investigators turned their focus towards barring VIP players, suspected of using loan sharks as their source of funds, Duff admits he pushed back. To be able to to bar somebody because they are getting their cash from an outside source, I didn't think was the right way to go. And when VIPs were pulled aside by investigators and asked specific questions about their source of funds, Duff told the Cullen Commission he felt they were being ambushed. I informed the player uh, through our interpreter that, uh, that you are not obligated to answer that question. A larger concern, if a VIP was barred from a great Canadian casino, they would just bet their money somewhere else. But they can travel 
six miles into New Westminster and play at my competitor's casino. It was a concern BCLC's former chief compliance officer heard as well. They were worried that if there was action taken by River Rock, but it wasn't province-wide, uh, the player would just shift to a, to a different service provider. While investigators believe suspected loan sharks were a constant, it seems a coordinated effort to stop their money from entering the cash cage was not. John Hua, Global News. A convicted trafficker of underage girls might get a new trial. How the argument hinges on the bad behavior of the lead investigator, who already pled guilty to breach of trust. And a new place offers support to the homeless, but some residents ask, did they have to put it there? Final clearing stages of an earlier structure fire in Vancouver that has southbound Canby Street down to just a single lane between West 57th Avenue and Marine Drive. Save on foods and save on time. Shop online and swing by for quick, safe, and free curbside pickup. Super savings online now at saveonfoods.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of a structure fire in Vancouver. Lawyers for a notorious pimp who preyed on young girls are trying to get him a new trial. Reza Moazami was convicted on 30 charges of running an underage prostitution ring. But the lead investigator has pled guilty to breach of trust and sexual exploitation of some of the subjects. So his lawyers are arguing there's evidence of abusive process. Grace Key explains. Lawyers for convicted pimp Reza Mazami say there is fresh evidence that shows there was an abusive process and miscarriage of justice. They're asking for a new trial. Defense is arguing that the lead investigator, former Vancouver police detective James Fisher, had sexual relations with complainants and witnesses around the time of the trial. Defense says there were four or five sexual encounters with one witness that would have happened during the trial, with Fisher offering to help her out with court stuff. Defense says he promised one uncooperative witness $50,000, though Crown is expected to argue that it was a joke. He's also said to have taken a woman to a psychiatric appointment and then to the police station where he kissed her. Some of the evidence, defense says, is hearsay. Fisher was sentenced to 20 months in prison after pleading guilty to breach of trust and sexual exploitation. Mozami was sentenced to 23 years in prison for luring 11 teenage girls into prostitution, one as young as 14. Five days had been set aside for these arguments. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating an early morning shooting on the downtown east side. It happened about 6 a.m. in the zero block of East Hastings Street. The victim is a 53-year-old man. He was rushed to hospital with a gunshot injury to the leg. He's currently in stable condition. At this point, police say no arrests have been made. A temporary new facility is up and running in Victoria to give the city's homeless better access to services. The community care tent gives people living in the city's parks a place to get warm and dry and find community resources. But as Kylie Stanton reports, not everyone is happy about its location. They're calling it a happy mess. We've pretty much lined up the donations. As this space slowly transforms to provide some much-needed support to Victoria's most vulnerable citizens. It's by the community, for the community. The people accessing the services are also the people, you know, operating it. The community care tent has been set up at the end of Cook Street near Dallas Road. The city has repainted the lines and installed cement barriers establishing a location for the facility to operate. The area as it will be finalized will actually be two tents like that 
plus the teepee somewhere in the middle. But getting to this point hasn't been easy. The tent was originally set up in Beacon Hill Park at the end of October to provide resources and services to the growing number of people camping in the area. But it was found to be in violation of city bylaws and the Beacon Hill Park Trust. And so organizers looked to the city for funding. $6,500 through its emergency social services grant. We're in a global health pandemic um, and the people who are living outside need humanitarian aid. The idea is modeled on the Build Back Victoria program that allows businesses to expand patios into the streets. In this case, staff went out and consulted with the applicant, the Red Cedar Cafe, and granted a permit for the space to operate until March 31st at which time the province has committed to provide anyone living outside an indoor sheltering space. The province is working really hard. Um, I have confidence. Uh, that's what needs to happen. Others are not so sure. I really have my doubts. I think it's going to be there much past March 31st. And because it's considered to be a temporary structure, there was no public consultation involved, leaving residents in the area very much divided. I just think they couldn't have picked a worse place. I think that's excellent because people need to get in out of the cold. A lot of people are complaining about it. I figure it's you got to help out. So, Either way, it's moving ahead with the goal of getting the homeless community through the winter healthy and supported. Building those sorts of connections creates a resiliency that can help uh, stop folks from getting to this point in the future, you know. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Up next, pushing ahead with impeachment. We already have a flaming fire in this country, and it's like taking a bunch of gasoline and pouring it on top of the fire. The repercussions of President Trump's repeated lies about the stolen election. And a bitter end for Godiva Chocolates, closing many of its North American stores. Good evening. Traffic is nice and steady over here north and south at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind there are lane closures during the overnight hours for some maintenance. Want access to the HOV lane? Beat rush hour traffic in the Chevrolet Bolt EV with up to 417 kilometers of range. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The COVID-19 pandemic is striking a bitter note for Godiva. The luxury chocolatier says 128 brick-and-mortar locations across North America, including 11 in Canada, will be closed by the end of March. The company has stores in Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg and Vancouver. The company declined to say how many jobs will be affected by the decision. Joe Biden entered his first full week in office with the legacy of his predecessor still looming large. The impeachment of Donald Trump. A trial is set to begin on February 8th. And while it's unclear just how much Republican support exists... The divide between those loyal to Trump and those looking to move away is glaring. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. A politically divided country is bracing for the storm after the storm as the second impeachment of Donald Trump moves into the hands of the U.S. Senate. He tried to kill American democracy. There isn't any doubt about that. Senators, how say you? Unlike the first trial, which highlighted the power of partisanship, some members of the Republican Party say there are simply too many lines in the sand that have been crossed. What is being alleged and what we saw, which is incitement to insurrection, uh, is, uh, is an impeachable offense. If, if not, what is? The GOP is frayed and consensus doesn't exist in a battle between unity and fealty. 
We already have a flaming fire in this country, and it's like taking a bunch of gasoline and pouring it on top of the fire. Amid fears that anger could boil up, security in D.C. will remain in place for weeks. A daily reminder of the repercussions of a repeated lie. We won this election, and we won it by a landslide. Those words led to an explosion of chaos, and Democrats want Donald Trump held accountable, even if he's already gone. Sweeping it under the rug will not bring healing. The only way to bring healing is to actually have real accountability. Meanwhile, there are new allegations that Donald Trump sought to weaponize the Justice Department in his effort to overturn results adding to the calls to hold him responsible for the actions of those false claims. Absolutely no barrier at all to the Senate considering evidence that may have emerged since the date on which the article of impeachment was was passed out of the House. Senators will be sworn in as jurors on Tuesday, and 17 Republican senators would be needed in order to convict Donald Trump. If that happens, a secondary vote can take place with a simple majority, preventing Trump from ever holding public office again. It's unclear how long this trial will last once it begins on February 8th. We also don't know which witnesses will be called by either side. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In health matters tonight, staying mentally tough is a discipline many athletes hone over the course of their careers. And experts say the lessons applied in professional sport can easily translate to challenges we face every day, especially during COVID-19. Global's Catherine Ward explains. It is what it is, not what it's supposed to be. That reality has played out in countless ways since the pandemic gripped the world. Professional snowboarder Max Perot has lived it while preparing for an unusual season of competition. The plan would just, all, would just always change. Uh, because of the rules, uh, because of the flights, because the contests are cancelled. Still, the athlete says figuring out ways to stay positive has been his key to success. The faster you adapt yourself, well, the faster you can turn around and find another way to to keep on going forward. This mindset is something Perot has been able to practice throughout his career in unexpected ways. In 2018, he was diagnosed... Hodgkin's lymphoma. I wanted to to live, so I had to <laughs> to put snowboard away and focus on beating cancer. Two months after completing chemo, Perot went on to win the X Games in Norway. Jean-François Menard has been with him every step of the way as a mental performance coach. Menard says COVID-19 has been taxing for everyone, not just athletes. I think it's very difficult right now to work with long-term goals because it's so difficult to predict what's going to happen. And My definition of long-term now is seven days. Menard has worked with countless professional athletes, including Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer and Mikael Kingsbury. He says sometimes it's best to break a problem down and simply focus on the next step. It's not as threatening. Uh, The anxiety goes down considerably. Why? Because it's manageable. It's right there. It's tangible. You have it within your hands. For Perot, the season has put those lessons to the test. In January, he won the World Cup in Austria... A week later, the entire Canadian men's snowboard team was removed from competition in Switzerland after two members tested positive for COVID-19. Global News spoke with Menard after this development. Lots of frustration. Um, Max was mad. But he says the anger didn't last because the biggest competition of the year was still to come in Aspen, Colorado. And it didn't take much time that he was, you know, solution-based thinking and let's go, let's get ready for the X Games. Menard says having this mindset can help anyone, especially during the pandemic. My definition of mental toughness is choosing 
to have the right attitude in moments where you're not supposed to have it. You know, going through adversity is an investment for the future. Catherine Ward, Global News. Still ahead, an open-air art exhibition drawing crowds. It was not my intention to do anything big and important. From fair maidens to unicorns to dragons, the story of the artist who created the creatures inhabiting this Burnaby Park. And in sports, it's tough to defend the way the Canucks are playing right now because it's tough for them to defend the way they're playing right now. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Sitting out the Super Bowl, why you won't see some of your favorite commercials during the big game this year. That's coming up right after Yvonne's forecast. We'll check in with her. It was kind of a wild day out there with a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, it was a mixed bag depending on where you were. And here's a quick snapshot of what we did see earlier. There was a cell that just popped up towards the West End and we got a great video that was sent in from West Vancouver. What it looked like on the highway. So be prepared always for snow out there, especially at higher elevations. This one was sent in from Jim. A cute shot. This is Archie Daniel's dog uh, seeing uh, some ice pellets or hail for the first time out on their patio. And then we captured some rainbows in between. And this was captured in English Bay. This one in Vancouver. So thank you so much, Tabitha. Kitsilano from our very own Jordan Armstrong. And a double rainbow was out in Ladner. So it was really a mixed bag depending on where you were. We are actually going to see a bit of a break on the way. And as we get in towards tomorrow, there is some sunshine in the forecast. We still do have that low that has been stalled over the south coast or the island rather and that'll still bring in some instability this evening with even the slight potential to see some ice pellets and then this will be the next weather maker that we are tracking and higher elevations will be looking at the potential for some accumulating snowfall so overnight leading in towards the morning hours most areas it'll be a chance for some showers higher elevations above 300 meters with some wet snowfall or wet flurries rather and then it dissipates a clearing is on the way as we get in towards tomorrow morning we've got some sunshine for many areas across the south coast and then and that next system is going to start to work its way in, and that'll likely be late tomorrow night and overnight into our Wednesday morning. Now, the northern half of the province with some breaks tomorrow, a chilly one along the coast. A few flurries will be for the morning hours for the central interior. Southern interior, it's a few isolated flurries in the morning with that cloud cover. I anticipate to be that there'll be some sunshine also breaks towards the afternoon along the south coast. The island may take a bit of time to clear out, but there will be some breaks just in between systems. Temperatures tomorrow We'll climb up to four is the high. We'll have that another shot for some flurries once again. Early morning hours on Wednesday, and that'll be higher elevations. Instability do bundle up this week. It is going to be a chilly one out there. And tonight's central windows weather window, a gorgeous shot that was captured of a sunset in Haida Gwaii over the weekend. Chris? That is gorgeous. Okay, thanks very much, Yvonne. For the first time in nearly four decades, football fans will not see one of those classic Super Bowl ads. Yo, you pick up the phone. Hello? What's that? What's that? An oldie but a goodie for sure. Anheuser-Busch says for the first time in 37 years, the beer company is not going to advertise during the Super Bowl. Instead, it says it's going to shift the money it would have spent on the commercial slot into COVID-19 vaccination awareness. Coca-Cola and Audi are also sitting out the big game. The sports spectacle has been struggling to attract the degree of advertising demand it usually draws because of the pandemic's economic impact on companies' bottom lines. Now, a 30-second ad for this year's Super Bowl is still expected to cost about $5.5 million U.S. They're still making decent money on it. The game is set.
for February 7th. Hey, Squire, did you watch the games this weekend? Oh, yes. Tom Brady 10 times in the Super Bowl. Amazing. In 21 years, he's running nearly 50%. It's incredible. Nope, and like a lot of those games, Chris, he did win with balls that were completely inflated. <laughs> <laughs> Some weren't, but most of them were. Uh, the uh, Canucks host Ottawa tonight. Hopefully they'll be uh, much better than they were against Montreal. we got a group that really wants to win badly. Uh, they also understand that they haven't played their best hockey yet. Yeah, that's no fooling. Uh, last week's series with the Habs was basically a defensive nightmare for Vancouver. Also tonight, the surprising sculptures in a Burnaby Park and the artist who created them. That's coming up as well. It wasn't a sweep, and that's about the best we can say about the Montreal Canadiens coming to town. Here's Squire with a look at sports. Yes, I think the Canucks are very happy to see Montreal say au revoir and leave town. The uh, Canucks lost two of three against the Habs. Actually, they very, uh, they very nearly lost all three, considering their win, Vancouver's win in this three-game set, was in a shootout. Uh, tonight starts a three-game visit from Ottawa, a team that is considered the worst in the Canadian division, or the North division, if you like. But the way the Canucks have played defense of late, maybe they won't find the Senators as beatable as they should. A lack of defense has been the Canucks' main problem so far this season. Quinn Hughes, nine minutes into this period. So lots of time left at 2-2. There's a turnover. Back in comes Tatar. Quick shot, score! We know it, and the Vancouver Canucks know it. Turnovers and odd man rushes are killing the Canucks right now. It's as if this team has forgotten how to play defense, and unless it tightens things up from the blue line in, wins are going to continue to be few and far between. I mean, that's just part of our structure that I think there has been games where it's gotten away from us, where we've given up some chances in the slot that we don't like. It's something we worked on a lot with our team going into the bubble. I don't think we've been great at it uh, at times. Uh, obviously, a, a few new defensemen in our lineup, but... Uh, to make life easier for your goalies, you have to be good in your own zone for sure. What's alarming is the Canucks have become an easy team to play against. That is something we haven't said a lot of the last few years. Nobody's given up more goals and nobody's been scored on more times while playing five on five than Vancouver. Same goes for shots where the Canucks are getting shelled. Seven games in and the Canucks have allowed 255 shots against. We've discussed it uh, a lot and gone over, you know, systems wise, uh, how we need to play. It's about finding our way and our identity, um, you know, as fast as possible. And we're still searching for it. And we've had a lot of discussions about it and um, how we need to play to be successful. And we want to be a hardworking team that plays fast and is detailed and structured and, and, and does it for 60 minutes. And so we have to do that to, uh, in order to win. We know that as a, as a group. Um, and, uh, you know, you, when you start doing that, the wins start coming and, and you start playing um, the hockey that you need to play, um, you know, to win hockey games, especially in a, a really good division and a tight division. Usually when we manage the puck and we execute with the puck, good things happen with our team. I've said this a lot over the years. Uh, when our execution uh, isn't sharp, isn't dialed in, isn't on, when our passes aren't on the tape, or we don't make good decisions with the puck, our game usually goes sideways, and I think we've seen that a little bit. Uh, Major League Soccer says it will start the 2021 season on April 3rd and they'll hand out the trophy on December 11th and preseason training camps can start on February 22nd. Now all these dates are just parameters. There is no schedule yet. There won't be one for a few weeks and one of the reasons is 
MLS still has to figure out how to handle the three Canadian teams because the way things are going with the border, it's likely, just like last year, the Whitecaps, Toronto FC, and Montreal will all have to relocate into the U.S. to play the bulk of their games like they did, as I said, in 2020. Well, Tom Brady, of course, as we mentioned earlier, is heading off to his 10th Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, on the other hand, are left wondering what happened yesterday at home. And why did their coach, Matt LaFleur, kick a field goal on fourth down with just over two minutes to go rather than let the offense try to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie? Because after that field goal, they didn't get the ball back. It didn't work out. So I think anytime something doesn't work out, do you regret it? Sure. But we're always going to be process-driven here. And the way our defense was battling, the way our defense was playing, we felt like it was the right decision to do. And uh, it just didn't work out. Did you see my Packers C and K were flipped? Look, It was I- almost as bad as their offense in the fourth quarter. Uh, okay, Raptors and Pacers and Stanley Johnson. No! That's... A block party on Aaron Holiday for the Raptors. Raptors beat the uh, Pacers yesterday in Indianapolis, so this was a repeat game, a rematch. Malcolm Brogdon, Pacers up by 10 at the break. Kyle Lowry, though, nice passing here by Toronto, and Lowry finishes this off. And that gave Toronto a lead by two, but they didn't have a great fourth quarter despite that bucket right there. Brogdon again, he had 36, and Indiana wins this 129-114. By the way, uh, Kawhi Leonard, he won't be playing tomorrow against Atlanta. Neither will Paul George for the Clippers because they are in health and safety protocol. Uh huh. We all know what that means. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Chris. We'll have more tonight on the changes announced today to the rollout of BC's vaccine program. Plus, we'll tell you about action police have taken against a man accused of hosting a number of large parties at his downtown Vancouver condo. About 100 people were there Saturday. What we know about the events and the fallout from them. Those stories and, of course, Canucks highlights when you join us at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jay. And amazing forest sculptures and the artist who created them. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Right. Normally when you think forest creatures, you're thinking squirrels, raccoons, that kind of thing. But in um, a Burnaby Park, it's much different. Now, um, I grew up around Burnaby Park, and Yvonne also grew up around Burnaby uh-huh. Park. It's a beautiful park. 
Um, it's not usually really crowded, but when we went there on Saturday, it was crowded for a very good reason. Robert Burnaby Park has become a bit of an open-air art gallery, and it's causing lineups, all to see the work of Nikki Lewis, who has filled the park with sculptures like this dragon, made of mostly sticks and string. Uh, I normally do big, obnoxious light-up art, uh, and it would be cool if I could find a way to make art that was more sustainable. And so, yeah, so I just... Um, I just use twine and sticks that are nearby. And in Burnaby Park, there's obviously no shortage of raw material. But these sculptures aren't just unique works of art. They are also therapeutic. Well, um, I was having a really hard time with COVID. Uh, I had gotten a lot of anxiety around leaving the house, and that was unusual for me. I'm very outgoing, and I love people, but I was terrified to be out and about. And... Um, I also make art. It's my coping mechanism, always has been. And the very thing that helped Nikki find joy during unsettling times is doing the exact same to others, big and small. This must be pretty hot warming. It is, yeah. I've heard some really amazing stories from people, um, some that are... <laughs> that really get me emotional because I, it was not my intention to do anything big and important. But for some people, these sculptures did become big and important. A special needs gentleman that came through with his caretakers one day, he ran right past me and said, I'm going to the unicorn! And he was so excited. And, and his caretaker said, we haven't been able to get him out of the group home. He just won't leave. And then we finally dragged him to this park and he saw the unicorn and now he wants to come every day. So... I never imagined that I would have an impact on people's lives with my art, so this is, it's a big deal. So big that Nikki plans to keep on doing it. I am, but I think I'm going to do, I'm going to spread it out to some different parks. Um, I'm also going to try and hide them better and make it more of an adventure and just make more magic out of it that way. Did you recognize the Star Wars character? Well, I thought it looked like Chewbacca, and yeah, she's a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Very cool. As Limp Biscuit said, she did it all for the Wookiee. Yeah. <laughs> some other word they were thinking of. Hey, hey b before we sign off here, we want to send a very big congratulations to our co-worker, Kelsey Nichols, and her husband, Reese Verde Rios. We are now, or they are now, a family of four, <laughs> but they're, they're part of the global family. Bo Alonzo was born last Thursday, January 21st, in the early afternoon, a whopping nine pounds, two ounces, 22 and a quarter inches long. It's going to be a big dude. Everyone is doing well. Big brother Ames is excited for his new role, too. So congratulations, Kelsey. Uh, we miss you already. And congratulations to Reese, too, of course. That's very cool. All right. A happy Robbie Burns Day to everybody. Hope you enjoyed the rainbows and rain and whatever else is coming, Yvonne. Yeah, we got some sunshine tomorrow, so get out and enjoy it. That's good. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.